and welcome to Triple H point 100.1 FM. You are listening to Alexi Boyd and Small Biz Matters live across the Triple H network and across the community radio network also. Thank you for joining me once again this week. We've got an excellent program, someone who I have been wanting to have on the show for probably a couple of years now. And uh, it's all about sustainability and we're talking about social enterprise. It's been a bit of a theme in the last few weeks here on Small Biz Matters because there is a bit of a movement towards being more socially Uh, I guess, conscious, being more sustainable, being more in line with what's actually occurring around us. And it goes around the the thought of being adaptable as a small business as well. So in basically the future and sustainability is, is, is pretty important and they do go hand in hand. But what's often missed from this equation when starting a business and thinking about being a social enterprise is long-term profitability. You can't sustain a business just on goodwill alone. And even if you're able to tap into all the kindness out there, eventually you'll run out of customers or you'll run out of steam. So how do you find that balance between profit for purpose and actually doing some good and actually making a living from your small business? It's easy to put sustainability in a too hard or I don't know how to do this or I don't know where to start basket. But can we really afford to do that now as a small business society. So today we're in for a real treat. You'll learn that through hard work, perseverance and passion, the balance can be found. We're joined on Small Biz Matters by Paul Frasca, a giant in the sustainability world. In 2015, he and his partners started sustainability salons dedicated to reducing waste in hair salons and they've grown from there. The industry which he first started in. He's an international speaker who remarkably never uses notes on stage and is an inspiration to listen to. He's also not afraid to speak his mind on the future of not only his industry, but small business in general. And he's passionate about sustainability being the non-negotiable driving force of that future. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you for having me, Alexi. It's really good to have you because um, we are passionate here on Small Biz Matters about sustainability, but not just in an environmental sense, but also in a sustainability of business sense. And this is where your model of sustainable salons is so interesting because it assists businesses with looking into the future, being adaptable to change and also making the most of what you call a resource. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the program. But tell me first how this journey all started, this hairy project, as you call it. um, And why did you become so passionate about this in the first place? Yeah, good question. So, uh, look, it all started nearly 15 years ago when I met my partner, Evelina, in Amsterdam. Uh, I went over there to work for uh, two weeks and ended up living there for another decade. <laughs> Amsterdam can do that to, to a lot of people. And Evelina's from Belgium and she was studying in Amsterdam, studying uh, fashion sustainability. And when we met, so this is going back 15 years, and we met uh, the old school way at a party, you know, not online because it still wasn't happening online at that stage. Uh, basically, uh, I was really fascinated by the work she was doing in cotton resources, you know, and, and to really explain this, she was studying through your barcode, she could trace all the way back to who planted the seed and uh, also how it got disposed of. So the full life cycle of, of the product. And, and I found that just so fascinating. I'm like, today, that is actually what blockchain is becoming, yeah. you know. So uh, she was doing this and big companies would actually pay to have this information, like big clothing companies would say like, you know, we know this factory does this, but where does the cotton come from or where does the water even come from to supply that cotton farm and and you know and once you do this you start realizing just how bad you know you've got the production of the product but then once you start getting into the farming aspect corruption is everywhere right and and basically companies needed to know this so they could try to stamp it out to have more ethical brands you know so uh, basically it inspired me and I said to Evelina I was like 
What about the hairdressing industry, you know? And like as a hairdresser every day turning up to work, seeing all this foil and hair and, and, and cardboard. And I'm like, we are a huge polluter, you know? And you talk to most hairdressers back then and nobody was thinking about sustainability. We were all just like so focused on, you know, colouring hair. Belliage was the big thing, right? So it was all about colouring hair, doing lots of colours, foiling and so forth. So basically to fast forward a little bit, we, uh, Evelina, as a, as a European, she said to me, you know, I would really like to see... Australia. <laughs> so that kind of was the exit of Europe because I said, oh, how long are we going for? She said, let's just, let's just go and see what happens. <laughs> just like Dan- you did in Amsterdam. <laughs> da- exactly. Dangerous move. Uh, I tell you, we landed in Australia and it only took about two days and Evelina was like, that's it. I never want to return. We're living here. And I'm like, okay. So uh, basically, I still remember the first thing she said to me. She's like, I want to go drive around Australia. And I thought, you know, this is the first time in my career that I actually don't have a job you know, because we've come back. And I said, you know what, let's do it. So we got a hippie van and we drove around Australia. But to be honest, this was the time it gave us the time to think about what do we want to do with our lives? You know, it was one of those moments where you're driving. Now, when you drive around Australia, I just warn anyone, it's about $7,000 in petrol. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) 7,000 million hours of driving. (laughs) You've got a lot of time to talk, right? So we just started rambling on about all the things that matter to us, you know, and truly that is where Sustainable Salons came from. It's not that we want to wake up one day and own, you know, depots and recycling infrastructure and all that. <laughs> we just wanted to wake up to something that mattered to us every day, something we'll be proud to do. So it wasn't an aha moment necessarily. It was more your experience within the hair industry and also her experience within sustainability and understanding the, the blockchain situation. Uh, exactly, exactly. And, and really, we started just really putting it all together. So it really started where we wanted to first go out and study the hairdressing industry. So we went out to 160 hair salons and we said, give us your waste for a week and we want to study it. And actually here in Hornsby, they were part of it. Castle Hill, uh, Chatswood. So all these areas were actually a part of our research. They had no idea what we were doing. They just thought we were bonkers. They're like, what do you weirdos want our rubbish for? So you were literally just going in there and picking up bags of rubbish and going, I know, we'll just we'll just take away that waste burden for you. And they would have been ecstatic. Thinking, well, oh, my partner's quite an intellect. So we, we, and as a hairdresser, I'm like, you know, just let's go do this. But she's like, no, we're going to do a report. I was like, oh, boring. So right. we, this was really a part of her bigger plan to write the report to understand deeply about the true uh, numbers that are happening. So uh, taking all of these materials uh, back to uh, uh, Castle Hill where we were living at the time. So you did it at home? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because remember, we still had no job yet. We were, we were just coming back from this huge trip. We had this great idea that we put together, but we had no research to back it. So we actually just went out to study it. And what was one of the most alarming things we found straight away was aluminium foil. It made up 50 percent of a salon's waste bin. So one million kilos of aluminium foil goes to landfill yearly just from foiling women's hair. You can add another 500,000 uh, uh, kilos to that for the colour tubes, which are also made from aluminium. Wow. And anyone who knows about metal recycling, it's infinitely recyclable and it's a commodity. So I'm like, why don't we just go pick it up? Mm. Like, why is it being landfilled? So that was just one of our epiphanies. Uh, The other one was, of course, human hair. Nobody was actually looking at hair. Everyone just naturally thinks of it as a waste product. And when I put it to you, right, like, when you think of hair on your head, you love it, right? It's nice. I like my hair. And the minute it comes off, it's like, ugh. That's so true. And it's like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, where was that disconnect? Yeah, it's, it's all perception, right? So you, mm. uh, I say to someone, you would probably do the same if you saw, uh, you know, wool from a sheep. You know, if it saw it on the sheep, it's nice. It comes off in your hand. It's like, Ugh. but then you sit in an Ugg boot. It's like, ah, oh, 
So you needed to commoditise this Exactly. Product. We had to change the perception of actually what it is. So that we've been on this mission, and I'll talk more about that. But basically, that's how it all started with sustainable salons. We, we really knew that we had to get out and solve this problem. So to break it down to what it is today, Sustainable Salons is a comprehensive resource recovery service. It's designed specifically for the salon environment. We reward the clients for being part of our program. And then everything that we collect out of the salons is then redirected back into local communities and charities programs. So just to break that down a little bit, we have a door-to-door pickup service that's, and, and we have an eight-bin infrastructure that goes inside a salon. So that creates all the separation of all the materials. So that's the MRF, if anyone knows recycling who's listening in. That's the, you know, you, big recycling infrastructures have these big machines to separate your materials. Well, we just got the, we got the individual to do it at the source. Mm. It's key. And that's, that's the secret source. You've got to get people separating. You can recycle hair, cigarette butts. You can recycle anything if you collect it as a single source. Because anybody in small business knows that your biggest expense is labour. Yes. So your idea was, well, we'll take out that labour component from our responsibility and push back onto the responsibility at the time because you're holding one piece mm. of something in your hand. It's not that hard to put that one piece into a particular bin instead of into one giant bin. Well, well even labour on this one, right? Who's going to separate hair out of a contaminated bin? Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Right? And, and contamination's the problem. So you've got to get these things as a single source and then magic can happen. And I'll talk more about that. So that's kind of like the comprehensive side of what we do. Then when you've got the salon environment. We service hair, beauty, dog groomers, dermal clinics and barbershops. So they're all the types of businesses that we service. So it's not just hair salons. Uh, uh, So it's the salon environment and we're very specific in just staying within that realm. Mm. Uh, Then we reward. We have a big rewards loyalty program. So we're rewarding all these people for being part of the program. So they get all these great uh, sustainably minded gifts that can come back to their businesses to help grow them sustainably, like on all your domestics, you know, your cleaning products, your foil, your bits and bobs that you're never thinking about that you probably wanted to buy, but it was 30 cents more expensive than the other one. So in a points world, it's just like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. You know, I want the who gives a crap toilet paper. So we love putting social enterprise products in there that are benefiting another enterprise. So speaking of those uh, partnerships, um, how did you and at what point during this journey did you start realising that you need to partner up with this other social enterprise oh, program? Right from the beginning. It was all built in. And how did you develop those relationships oh, on you a practical just, basis? Yeah, so that's where I shine. Uh, I'm not afraid to call our Prime Minister or anybody else out there and just say, hey, this is who I am, this is where we're going. And I think uh, you've just got to have a no-fear attitude of just, you know, uh, someone actually said to me, once, you know, is is it's not easy being sales, but I'll give you one trick. It's how much rejection can you handle? <laughs> that is really all that it's about. And really, this wasn't so much sales. This was just, it's it's really a life skill. I think it's a, it's a real skill to have a, 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 a wall where you can handle rejection because life's full of rejection. And if you can handle that, you know, I call it the one in 10 rule. One in every 10 is going to come through because they're going to understand your mission. They're going to understand your cause and they're going to want to be on board. And how did you find them? Was it just a matter of, you know, researching and finding products that you wanted to align with and then bringing them up and going, hey guys, we're doing this. Do you want to partner with us? Was exactly. It, or did you have to have a network or be part of that scene in order to access those people? Oh, we're definitely not a part of the scene. We had we, we knew nobody in these worlds uh, and uh, basically just, yeah, just started uh, saying, you know, I like you. I want to wake up talking to you. 
you know, I do this a lot even with employing staff. It's not so much sometimes skills all the time we're going for. It's do I want to wake up and actually want to answer the phone with you, right? It's all about your energy, you know. If you have a nice energy and a persona you can, and you want to learn, oh, the world's your oyster. Like I said, I've got a hairdressing degree. And now we have over 60 staff and, and doing amazing things. And I'm like, I never got trained in all of this. I just had the will to want to do it with my partner. We're going to take a quick break here on Triple H 100.1 FM. And when we return after the break, we're going to talk to Paul Frasca from Sustainable, Sustainable Salons a little bit more about um, how that research was used in the beginning to help formulate his uh, business model, if you will. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. Now, today's program is all about sustainability. And if you've missed any of it, we've just been speaking to Paul Frasca from Sustainability Salons, who began this journey by being passionate about the waste that was being generated within his own industry, which is, of course, um, the hair salon industry. Now, Paul, you were mentioning at the beginning of the program about the research that you did, where you collected the waste yeah. from over how many salons? 160 did you say? salons we studied, yeah. And you collected it and you tabulated all those results. What was the result of that research in your business development plan? Yeah, the, res- the result was we had to get. S- Shit done. Started. Get it started now. Oh my God. Really, it's like we just saw so much contamination. We saw the waste was just not being recycled, and we saw it as also valuable resource. Mm. And this is where I like to talk about the above ground mining aspect of what we do. Because uh, when I was uh, when we came back to Australia, the mining boom was right in the middle, right, and everyone's talking about mining, mining, mining. And I couldn't stop thinking, like, well, you dig for it. Do you know how much is above ground? <laughs> Like, why have we got this full focus and you see the government going hard on why this matters so much about the mining? I'm like, do you know how many more jobs would come out of a recycling sector versus a mining sector, you know, and how much more of that money would go to small business? Remember, in the mining industry, it all goes to the top. Mm -hmm. All that money goes up to the top. You know, yes, you get a a few thousand workers out there, you know, that are getting good wages, but they died real fast, right? You know, when you start building recycling infrastructure, it'll be thousands of small businesses that'll have small operations running in towns everywhere because everyone needs recycling. It's like hair salons. You can't just have this in the major cities. Everybody needs it, even into the smallest town. So uh, I think even Scott Morrison's now come out to say just how much they're focused on the recycling of the future and just how many more jobs this is going to create over the mining industry. So they're very excited today. It it took a Chinese uh, band to enforce that, but thank God they've done that. And I'm kind of happy to see that China's now said no. So it means now that we can drive this whole recycling cycling uh, revolution that's coming because I remember and I always like to remind people it's not that China was taking our material uh, just to dump it they were the smartest people when I was traveling a lot to China they were collecting the world's resources because they were mining the world's resources to make our $10 blow dryers for Kmart right you know it's not like it said made from recycled material but nearly everything was being made from all these waste recycled materials that were coming into china china now has a middle class of over 300 million which is growing rapidly they have enough of their own resources today they don't need the world's waste anymore because when you look at that type of uh, uh, population now 300 million middle class that is nearly a, a quarter of the world's middle class they now have so they're creating their own waste and they can just keep on recycling yes, it which brings it back right. to what you were saying in terms of having a local model. Oh. That makes so much sense. The waste is being produced uh, by uh, p- 
people in a particular area, so why not recycle it in a particular area, create jobs? But it sounds to me as though... Above ground mining. And something that I never thought about before, manufacturing. Could this not be a jumpstart to the manufacturing industry if we've got the raw materials once again here? Then people will bring back manufacturing because this is where the raw materials are located. We just demonstrated this with with making our our sunglasses range. So just recently with Dresden uh, Vision, which is an amazing organisation. They've got stores all around Australia and New Zealand and Canada. Uh, We reached out to them saying, hey guys, you want to do a crazy project? Let's use uh, our shampoo bottles. Let's wash them, clean them, pelletise them, put them in your mould and let's make sunglasses all in Australia from our own waste material. And to be honest, it really wasn't that hard. We've now got Australian-made sunglasses. We did 5,000 pairs, and it says proudly on it, made in Australia. I think that's one of the proudest moments, and we only had to do that in two states, Victoria and New South Wales, because of where operations are. You have to, you know, you can't just do everything in just one state. But, uh, yeah, it was such a proud moment. You can do it. And you know what the best part is? Is consumers want it. The drive for the conscious consumer today is massive. Mm. You know, recently even chatting with Google, they had to come out and even let us know uh, during a conference to say, you know, and they didn't even know I was present in the meeting. There was a whole boardroom. They said, guys, if you want to know who the consumer is today, it's called the conscious consumer and they're all driving things around like social enterprise. They want to know that the product is not just, you know, a pie. It's a pie that gives back. It's a, it's a, Products need to matter and that's where the consumer is today, the big spending dollars. So, you know, that's why she Shifting your business model now to a sustainable business is actually going to drive profits into your business. And I can give an example of that for those out there that want to understand what does that actually mean? Because sounds good. What? Give me practicalities. All right, let's talk about a burger shop, right? You've got a burger shop and you're out there and you're like, you love making burgers, you're doing really well, um, but you want it to now be plugged into your local community and benefit the, uh, the environment at the same time. So first of all, the environment one's pretty straightforward. you just got to go out and outsource better, uh, better materials. So you just got to go out looking for what's recyclable, what's reusable, you know, and, and that's pretty easy. If you can't figure that out today, it's all over online. But how do you actually drive the profit in? I think this is the big one, right? And I said to someone, well, you know, let's say your burger's $5. You've done all your costings on a $5 burger. That's your rent, your, your electricity bills, all of this. Have you plugged in sustainability? Oh, no. Because they always see this as an added cost. Like they've got they've to find the money. I said, have you ever thought of making your burger $5.50? Now, that 50 cents is actually got nothing to do with the burger that is purely now being plugged in for your social enterprise. And people say to me straight away, oh, but my client's not going to pay $5.50. I would say that is utter crap. Consumers today are spending actually upwards of over 15 to 20% on products that matter. But they've got to, but they've got to inform their client that it matters. Now you've got endless marketing. So you're, let, let me put that 50 cents into perspective because I did this recently for, for a business. I said, let's add up how many burgers you do, blah, blah, blah. So basically we came to the end and said, you would have raised around $45,000 in that 50 cents. Can you imagine what you can do for your local area with $45,000? You become the God burger guy of your area right? You become this institution because now you become kind of like you think of the RSL, how they do with the pokies and, you know, they pretend like, oh, we're not making so much money, but we're giving it all back to the soccer fields and all that. Well, let's now flip that into a good business that's doing good for the community. And they're actually really giving now that $45,000. And they could say, maybe we're going to handpick six charities. You know, we're going to make sure that the local homeless people are getting theirs or uh, free burgers. Maybe it'll be a part of even paying for the burgers that go out or food. Uh, You know, it could be plugged into anything that matters to you 
and your clients. And that's the research you now need to do. What matters to my clients? You know, uh, a really good example of that was with, uh, uh, or they're kind of in the media at the moment, but Grilled, the burger company. Mm -hmm. And you saw them, when you you buy a meal, they give you a token and you get to go and choose which charity and you put it in. And whoever whoever gets the most tokens in their one, they give a $500 check each month to that charity. So it's letting the consumer decide which are the charities that matter. And they only pick local charities within like five to ten kilometres. So it's all about local. Yeah. You've got to keep it local. Keep the money as close to the point of where it's going in that cash register as possible because that's that's what truly matters. It also solves that problem of marketing because we hear small businesses complain about, well, you know, I don't have a marketing strategy because I don't know what to talk about. I don't want to look like I'm ramming my product down someone's throat and it's all about me, me, me. Well, here's your answer. If you make it about social enterprise and ways of giving back to your local community, there's your ad campaign. Do you know how proud I would be to buy that burger? You know, that burger now means more to me than just me having my dinner. It means that I'm maybe providing another meal to someone who doesn't have a meal. Right. You know, it maybe means that we're supporting, you know, something that truly matters to all the people right now. We've got bushfires happening. You know, money needs to be spent. That forty five thousand dollars would go a long way in those communities, you know, and those people will bring back that loyalty to you. I can guarantee you that. Now, I want to speak about um, the movement of sustainability as a whole. You've been doing this for decades now mm, with this, mm. with your sustainable, uh, sustainable salons. But also, I want to talk about um, where you see the future of this for small business. You mentioned during the break that it's important that we all think of this as part of our, um, I guess, business plan moving forward. Why is sustainability and, uh, I guess, profitability becoming more collaborative when when running a business well why because it just uh when you even talk about it doesn't it just make sense it's not like you've got to sell this argument about people planet and profit like everybody the people part it's all about our community the planet like who does not love blue skies beautiful beaches Uh, you know even even the most right-wing person would say geez that does matter to me you know and then of course the profit well that's what makes the wheels turn You've got to have profit. So I always say to everyone, you've got to have an equal part of it, all three. You can't just pick one and say, I'm sustainable. Now, I get a lot of business owners saying, oh, I'm driving so much more money into my business. I'm killing it. That doesn't make you sustainable. That word gets mixed up quite a bit. Sustainable has to be implementing all three equally. And I start off with the people, planet, then profit, you know, but equal. So these are key aspects. So I always remind people just to keep focus on that. Now, why is this going to matter over time? Because the consumer today want it more than ever. So you go into universities today and talk to students where I do quite a lot and all I hear now from students is they want to own social enterprises. So this is not a charity. It's not a proprietary limited. They want to be a social enterprise. So that's a profit for purpose. An organisation that's, yes, making money, yes, giving back to the, uh, to the environment and to their community, all plugged into one. Why? Again, just makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not, there's, no, there's no logic to this, I think, at all. Uh, it just, it's just common sense to anybody. And every even time when I go speak to, uh, like, businesses that have been established 20 years now, I think they really want it now too, more than ever, because they're like, you know what? I've got kids. This matters. So where do you start? You're a small business owner in any sector and you're saying to yourself, right, I want to be more sustainable. I think things like... Um, uh, retail or hospitality, it's its fairly straightforward. You think about the things that you're giving away mm. and what impact that they have on the environment and what you do with your profit and giving mm. back to the local community. But what would you say to um, someone who's not a bricks and mortar business, say someone who's an online seller, how can they be more 
uh, socially conscious in that sustainability way. Well, online is a perfect example because if you think you're clean and green, you are not. Uh, just to put that into perspective, Google is now the biggest contributor to uh, carbon emissions. Why? Because of the servers that need to run yes, uh, the computers. Yes, this cloud oh. concept. I was hearing about this recently <laughs> and we just think that it's got a zero carbon footprint. <laughs> it's so like... It, it, it is huge. To open up an email, you have no idea uh, because to keep that screen running, uh, to keep your information stored in the cloud, uh, it is huge amounts of energy needed uh, to actually power those servers. Uh, so basically, you have a responsibility. Yours is hidden a lot more, but it is still there. I'm still yet to see companies actually, even online, anyone who's selling online, actually standing up and talking about this because I think it's it's easy to just hide behind and say everyone else is bad. Well, mm. you're also part of that mix. We're all doing things that need to be changed. So really, if you're online right now, I would definitely make a stand saying, you know, we're going to offset all of uh, all the energy we're using. That's a basic one. Or, or question that the amount of energy that we're using actually choose to use 100% renewable that's resources it? for our for our electricity bills yeah. as a start. That's, that's, just, that's just a given. Mm. You know, there's just the basics you need to say. Like when I go to your website, I just want to see that you're proudly, you know, a part of the community. You know, you're giving your part back and now focus on what's your product. What's your product? What are you giving out? You know, and have you thought through that product? Um, one of the biggest things I see in a lot of products today is that they're not dismantled. You can't break them down anymore. So there's, there's this whole thing about repair, you know, and I just, it's everything from clothing to, to tools to, doesn't matter what you're buying now, everything's designed just for one year, two years, throw it away. And look, I, I get it. We need to have the wheels turning. Profit margins need to keep rising. I get it. But can't we start making products that actually have longer lives or can actually be broken down and recycled correctly. Because when you're designing something that is completely contaminated, what I mean by that is where you've got metal and plastic stuck together, no machine can break that apart. You know, you have to send that off to a third world country with, you know, wages of less than a dollar a day to have that actually recycled. And who wants that? Mm. Right? Those people don't even want that, you know? So I think we need to change that attitude a lot when producing our product lines. And, And what does that actually mean? And can I tell you this in the marketing of that? Tell the story. The client is actually now not buying your product. They're buying the story of why you went to all this effort to actually do that. So think about the way that the product can be repaired at the end of its oh. life. Think about where the, the raw materials came for for that product. And mm. like you said, turn it into a social media piece where you can say, you know, we weren't doing the best that we could and this is what we've done to try and improve it mm. and, and make it into a little bit of a video series or a, a podcast series about um, what, why we chose to do this as, as our, as in our business. Mm. Because I think that's what we forget with those online retailers is that we just go, oh, I, I bring in the product... I do something to it and then I ship it out. But what's your packaging? How is that arriving? I was speaking to a retailer recently um, just in a local shopping centre and uh, she was she was standing next to this big box of just soft, like I look at it and see soft plastics. She looked at it and saw rubbish. And I said, what are they? And she goes, each of our pieces of clothing come wrapped in this plastic. Oh. I said, pardon? <laughs> and I have to take off the plastic. And I said, so what happens to that? She goes, oh, I take it home and I recycle it. Wait a second. You, the worker, the retail worker, take it home and recycle oh, we it. we see this a lot. Something fundamentally wrong with that. So mm. question how your products arrive. Mm. If they're coming wrapped in polystyrene, mm. if they're coming, you know, with one product that's, you know, a fist size in a box the size of your house, yeah. then question that and, yeah. and push back on your suppliers and say, look, yeah. that's not good enough because yeah. you have a voice in this blockchain. Yeah, totally, you do. And, 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 and those voices are 
are being well heard. Why? Because it's reducing their profits now at the other end. Trust me, they're shifting at the other end because they're realising the consumer now is actually pushing back. The consumers are talking more. Social media is putting them in a very awkward position. And uh, basically, uh, the consumer is God because they're, they're still the ones spending the money. So, yeah, push back. But ultimately, I think just I always uh, someone gave me some advice once is saying, you know, because I'm you're probably not going to like this, but voting to me sometimes just infuriates me. And I don't see it really ever getting anywhere. You know, my 25 years of voting, and it hasn't got me anywhere. And I really haven't seen the changes I want to see. So someone said, vote with your dollar. Where do you put a dollar? So every time I go shopping now, every time I look at a store, every time I look at a product, I'm like, do I want to give them my vote today? Hmm. And it's a really amazing how you start spending your money. You're like... And you know, talk to them I'm, about I'm it. I'm looking at the person behind the counter now saying... It's you, a young family, small business. You, I, I just want to give you my money. I don't want to give it to sometimes the, the other guy that's like a big multinational that, you know, all I'm hearing about is how they're hurting farmers or doing something really bad to our country. I want to know that I'm supporting that local business. Mm. And that is really important in sustainability because without those small businesses, guys, it's a, it's a scary reality of the future. where it's, it's a Walmart economy. That's right. And that's very terrifying. But also congratulate those small businesses. If you see them make change if you do like I go to cafes and I will take a photo of a cafe that's using paper straws and using recycling cups and uh, encouraging people to bring in their own cups Mm. and I'll take a photo and I'll pop that up on social media and I'll say to my friends hey guys look this is a really awesome cafe because it's got it's got paper straws let's support them Um, can I give you an example of a business I saw the other day a butcher right yeah walked in there and uh, we don't eat a lot of meat and uh, it was one of those moments we thought oh we're going to get ourselves a nice piece of meat right so walk in there and I couldn't stop staring at this screen and it was just showing chickens running around and all this and I said what's going on here he says so this is a new company I've signed up with to get the eggs so what you're seeing is live footage of the free range organic chickens and so any of the butchers they get a screen and I just thought it was so nice because I could actually visualize the eggs I was willing and and uh, I could give a little talk on this if you like but how much are you willing as a consumer to spend once you now know a powerful story like that above what you traditionally would spend, right? If you spend normally $6 for your eggs, would, would you be willing to spend, and maybe I'll ask you this question, right, $7? Yes. Eight? We've seen that shift $8? in eggs. We've seen that because we're all paying now 20% more and the free-range egg market is now 30% of the egg economy. Well, when I've done this test with people and I go up in dollars, I'll say $8, $9, and it's amazing where they stop. Mm. And when you do that across 100 people, it sometimes can add over 40%. And people are wondering, oh, the people are not going to pay. Yeah, they will once they know the story Mm. properly. And that story is being fleshed out the way, as a consumer, I want to be delivered that story. Some want it through social media, but some want it visually. You know, some want to hear it from their local butcher. Mm. And and I trust him because he trusts that guy. And, you know, it means something. When we come back after the break, I want to talk to you a little bit about professional associations and the importance of why you know, you're know you so passionate about that movement and why people need to be part of that and use that as a voice. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and Small Biz Matters. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to Triple H 100.1 FM. You're listening live to Small Biz Matters across our great community radio station and across the community radio network.
Now, we're speaking today to Paul Frasca from Sustainable Salons. Uh, and one of the things you're quite passionate about, Paul, is the importance of professional associations and, I guess, um, people being part of something that's bigger than they are. I guess that runs into the social enterprise. But why is it important for people to have that voice and, and be part of a professional association? Yeah, this is a really good question. Again, if I go back in, in my voting world, so I didn't vote very much, but I do see this as something a little bit uh, different. And, and the reason why, look, I'm on the board for the Australian Hairdressing Council and, and a proud member also as a, uh, with our, with our organisation. Uh, but basically, I see the importance of an industry making sure that they have a voice together collectively. Now, when you're talking like hairdressing industry, beauty industries, these are very big industries. You know, uh, there's over 16,000 hair salons. You know, you're talking 80,000 hairdressers across the country. We're an, in, we're an institution going nowhere. There's no robot taking our job. We're a very creative industry. So we're going to be around a long time. But how we survive through these periods is going to mean everything, you know. And hairdressers, for example, always talk about, oh, how to put the price up of a haircut. And they all get scared. And, 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 and are they keeping up with the CPI of the country, right? You you know, to pay their rents and their staff. And associations can come together and we can actually have a single voice. We can move forward and that means that we're a progressive industry, you know, because you see any industries that don't have a voice and they're all scattered out doing their own thing, you know, it's, it's, it's good when times are good, but when times are bad... Oh my God! You've got no one to fall back on, and that's a, that's no different than watching with the bushfires right now. Saying, imagine your house got burnt down, and then you turned up to the local community area, and there was no one there. They are your local community. That's right. They're your local community, and you get that you're all getting together. You're discussing the topics that matter. Who else do you do that with? Because you can watch the news all day and curse that screen and everything you hear about a politician, this and that, but you don't really have a voice there you do within your association. And do you think that associations have a role when it comes to lobbying government, um, when it comes to small business legislation? A hundred percent. This is what they're there for. This is when your voices are then collectively coming together and you've got something that needs to be discussed, well, then you have a leader that can step forward. It's not, you know, having... 10,000 hairdressers crying, you know, rather having one strong voice who represents then the association. So you have your board of directors, but then you have a voice that will go into Canberra. That might be one or, uh, uh, you know, even multiple people from the board that will turn up to have that conversation, that tough conversation mm. with politicians about everything from penalty rates to, you know, even sustainability right now, which is hot topic, you know. Uh, and I, I still remember it was quite funny. If I go back about nearly uh, seven years at Canberra and, uh, you know, everyone laughed kind of at me when I was turning up there like, oh, you're that greenie. And I said, mate, I'm a liberal green. You should have seen these liberal faces. They're like... What is that? No, what, do you, what do you mean? Don't put green <laughs> next to liberal. I don't understand. And I say, mate, I said, do you say that to, to, to Elon Musk? You know, if you had Elon Musk come in here because he's a liberal green. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like him. He sells lots of cars. Yeah, he's good. He's big. He's, he makes lots of money, lots of jobs. And I'm like, yeah, he's also saving the planet. Is there something wrong with that? And I think that's where that disconnect was about seven, eight years ago. But today, those politicians are changing very fast because they're starting to see where all the dollars are going now. And they're like, oh, we need to be sustainable. So it's great to see that shift now happening. And I think it's been because of a lot of people like me and others that have come down to Canberra to, to really stamp our ground and say, guys, you know, you, you see industries all going down. Well, we're going up. 
you know, and I don't know if I have to shake you, but we're going up. And are other industries doing the same thing? Are they? Uh, are you finding that other industries are, are almost seeing your business model and saying, what else can we do as an association to support our members? Oh, yes and no. Like, they're all asking the questions, which I think is good. Like, how do we do it? Where do we go about it? Our members are crying out for it. What are the steps we can put in place? Um, I really think uh, what's missing today is uh, people taking the plunge a little bit more and actually starting to think, you know, it's not just about this commercial business model anymore. You can build a profit for purpose business model that generates the same profit margins that you're seeing today within your business. In a perfect world, what would you like to see the government do for small business to support this sustainability movement? Oh, look, the, the, first of all, get recognised, you know, actually starting to see this as uh, you, you don't have to be a charity to always do good. You can be a business doing good and do both. And I think we're kind of the perfect middle ground. And I think that is where the conversation needs to be now is basically teaching people in schools because these young kids at university are just coming up with this on their own at the moment just because of everything they're seeing the media they're just like i just want to be i want to be a, a product that matters and they have said that they're floundering because they're not getting the advice and the the pathway that helps to collaborate sustainability with profit that's oh. the impression that i get and, and and you know what i think when i talk to a lot of these kids is all they hear from government is like kind of like the bare minimum it's always the bare minimum when it comes to climate change, the bare minimum when it comes to any green initiative, the bare minimum. And, and why can't we flip, flip that to being the maximum? And again, I'll go back to an Elon Musk. You know, when you negatively look at what he's doing and say, oh, he's killing off the car industry. No, he is, he is radically changing it and actually doing it, for the, doing it for the future, the way everyone wants it to go. And I think we've just got to embrace that as a country and start saying, you know what, that now what needs to be stimulated. I'll give you a really good example of this too. When you go to China today and, and you see what's happening in China, China has so many incentives now to have an electric car, to have a, a, a carbon neutral life, right? They're putting in and plugging it in and, and people are, oh, Asia, this. I'll say they are leading it by far when you go and see what's happening because you come to our countries, you still can't get, there's hardly any tax incentives to actually take take on any of this and the, and the government still sees this as oh we've still got our factories they're still going we know they're dying it's like coal we know it's dying but can't we just milk it that little bit more it's like the cigarettes as well let's just milk those taxes we're always going to find the taxes in the worst possible places when actually everybody's wanting to see this so differently right now we're wanting to see ele electrify everything we want to see our roofs covered in solar panels we could be the future of energy the energy bowl of renewable energy to the world and i think the whole country would want to see that the rural areas would love to start seeing this Yet we still just keep talking about dig, 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 traditional business. I love the idea of energy food bowl. What a great concept. Oh. Wouldn't that be brilliant if we were the, the producers? And I, re I recall 20 years ago we were leading the world in solar energy. What on earth happened? Uh, uh, some why? good lobbying. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, and that's the reality. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, The government sometimes lacks the, the, the initiative there, uh, 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 the guts. The risk-taking. Yeah, they, they don't have the risks, right? And I think that's a real shame. And, and I just, to be, for me at the moment, I see people stimulating great small businesses being so much more powerful. Look at what's happening actually in the fires today. Where's all the volunteering dollars coming from, right? The people. And when you see these social enterprise, uh, sorry, these, uh, uh, these social, uh, people on social media and so forth raising 50 million, 80 million, the game is changing.
That's People right. are listening to them. They're becoming voices and much, much bigger than government. And becoming more powerful as well. That's right. Let's talk about the sustainable salons movement. How can people find out more as a consumer? How can I find out about it? Oh, look, uh, with sustainable salons, uh, it's really simple. We, uh, we're now the largest directory service uh, within the hair and uh, beauty industry. We have over 3,000 consumers going through our directory every uh, month. So just go to sustainablesalons.org and then you can spot all the salons. So they've got hair salons in there. You've got your beauty salons, dog groomers. You know, if you want to have your pooch sustainably groomed, go look up one of our dog groomers. Um, and, and, of course, our barber shops are in there and dermal clinics. Let's never forget those. We have dermal clinics really caring about how they're providing their service and, uh, and really understanding also the materials. And we're really working with them to increase all the recyclables within their business too. So, but basically, people always ask me, is my, am I going to get a better haircut out of this? Look, no, the hairdresser is still a hairdresser, but what you're now guaranteed is you've got someone who's really plugged in. They care. These people are going the extra distance to make sure that they're building a business that's for their local area, that's giving back, supporting jobs, making sure they're caring for their environment and a profitable business. Well, look, Paul, I'd like to thank you so much for coming along to Small Biz Matters. It has been fascinating, interesting, exciting. I have hope (laughs) for the future, not only for small business, but with uh, a leader such as yourself at the helm, really pushing uh, politics and legislation and and associations to be more sustainable, not just in an environmental, but also in a profitable sense. I think um, there's there's great hope for the future. So thank you so much for joining Small Biz Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Now, if you've missed any of today's program, you can catch up via iTunes where there are over 150 podcasts just like this one where you can immerse yourself in small business education and also you can subscribe of course to the channel Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Plus check out our website smallbizmatters.com.au where we've got our fabulous event calendar with loads of different events around the Sydney area and let us know if you'd like one listed. You've been listening to Alexi Boyd on Small Biz Matters. We'll be back next week with another excellent guest on Triple H 100.1 FM.